invite you to open your Bible this morning to Ephesians chapter 6 as we continue our study of this letter, Ephesians chapter 6. The thought just struck me as um, I look out over the congregation this morning, um, there's a, we're, we're just clay, uh, is the thought that strikes me. No, very normal, common uh, we're, we're clay with, um, with, with flaws and bumps and cracks, and, and, um, and yet we are in the hands this morning of a master, uh, a craftsman. Uh, Jesus, who is taking this clay of our lives and molding something magnificently beautiful uh, for the glory of God. And uh, there's not a more wonderful thing that could be true of us than that uh, we are the clay in the hands of Jesus, and He's today molding us and making us after His will for His glory. And so I, I hope you're excited about Jesus doing that work in your, in your heart and life as we uh, open the Word. Ephesians chapter 6 uh, last time we were looking at verses 10 through 13, and I'm going to begin reading there. It might not be on the slide, but I'm going to begin reading verse 10, and then our text this morning is going to pick it up at verse uh, 14 and following as we uh, consider this topic of spiritual warfare. Uh, let's give our attention to, <clears throat> to God's Word, beginning at verse 10. Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in, evil, in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore... Having fastened on the belt of truth, <clears throat> and having put on <clears throat> the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication." To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Jesus, thank you that your spirit has inspired these words and that you, Lord, intend them for our life, our heart, our mind that we might be equipped uh, to stand. And uh, we, we thank you, Lord, that in these words, uh, you will teach us and guide us and equip us as you promise. And so, Lord, give us attentive hearts and ears. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a, a, a powerful scene in the Lord of the Rings movie. I'm sure it's in the book as well. I just have to confess I haven't read the book. I've only seen the movie. Um, but in the two towers... Uh, Aragorn uh, confronts Theodon, the uh, king of Rohan, um, and uh, the armies of Saruman are on the march and are, are decimating the kingdom, and um, Theodon does wanna, doesn't want to fight, and Aragorn is pressing him. You have to take up arms. You have to go and resist this evil, and Theodon says, I will not risk open war, to which Aragorn replies, open war is upon you whether you risk it or not. Open war is upon you whether you risk it or not. There are many Christians who 
really don't, would rather not, in fact, I think it's a, it's a tendency in most of our lives, that we, we would just as soon do this peacefully, uh, quietly, uh, nicely. <clears throat> uh, it would be nice to be a Christian and not have to engage in conflict either with our own self uh, or with, um, with, with sin around us. It would be nice, right, to, to be a Christian and just sort of get along in the world. And many people try. You see um, churches trying uh, increasingly to get along with the world, particularly when it comes to sexual ethics. And we'll just adopt the sexual ethic of the world and we'll get along. Well, what we're trying to do is uh, we don't want to risk open war. We, want, we don't want to engage in the conflict. And this morning Paul is reminding us that we are in the conflict if we are a Christian. Remember uh, from our last study, this is not a conflict with people. So Paul says we're not waging war with flesh and blood. Other people are not the enemy, ever. But the principalities and the spiritual powers in the heavenly places, that's what we're up against. That's the, that's, uh, the enemy that we are at war with. And that enemy has, is not just in the world around us. That enemy, of course, is at work within us. And so we have battles in our own life. You've had them this week. Battles against spiritual apathy. Battles with your own anger. Battles with your addictions. Uh, battles to be content in times of trial. Battles, battles to resist temptations. You know, it's very easy to come to church Sunday after Sunday and and hear what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to, right, bear the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And we'll all say amen to that. But then we get into the reality of this coming week. And people say things that hurt us and, and uh, people will disappoint us. And, and we'll have the, uh, the own, our own temptations battling with us. And, well, how do you do all this? How do you... How do you um, how do you live a life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control when it's so hard? And it seems there's so many things opposing you, including your own weakness. Well, Paul this morning gives us instruction on exactly how to do that, uh, and precisely in the context of it being hard. Um, he calls us to stand, to stand, to, to, to actually live like people who are loved by God and called to be saints. To actually live like people who've been made a new creation by the power of God alone. And people who are not living uh, in our own strength, but are experiencing the, the strength that God gives. It's actually meant to be a functioning reality in our life. That we're, we're experiencing the, um, the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience because we're consciously standing in the power that God provides. This morning we're going to see that everything that we need in this battle with our own flesh and in our battle with the, the forces of evil in the heavenly places, our battle with the devil, everything we need is given to us. We just need to put it on. Uh, everything we need in a time uh, to resist temptation in a time of loneliness or grief is given to us. Everything we need to bite our tongue uh, when we're tempted to anger um, we're, is given to us. Everything that we need to endure the trial of a hard marriage or a devastating diagnosis from the doctor. Everything that we need for the realities of our life is given to us in the armor of God. 
Peter would uh, say it this way in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that his, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And this morning, Paul uh, deals on that same topic by, point, uh, by uh, presenting to us the armor of God and calling us to put these things on. There are six items that Paul mentions. Um, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes fit for your feet, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. Um, I'm not going to take them just one after another to explain them, but I'd, but I'd rather that we... Um, what are the central truths that Paul's pressing home here? Because there are some. And in that way, work our way through the text. Um, Paul, of course, is listing things that would be common to every one of his original readers. They know, they know Roman soldiers. They, uh, Roman soldiers would be on the streets every day. And this is the apparel uh, with which they would be equipped. And Paul is just using that word picture to help us understand how we should be equipped if we're going to stand um, in the day of evil. The first thing, uh, so I'm going to mention several things that Paul just highlights here as, as critically important for us to stand. The first thing is the importance of the Word of God. I say that because the belt of truth and the sword of the Spirit are both references to Scripture. We're told that specifically when it comes to the sword of the Spirit, but the belt of truth is the same. Uh, and both of these things would be necessary parts of Roman armor. Boys and girls, you know that we use, wear belts uh, you know, to keep our trousers up, but also uh, maybe for decorative purposes. Well, a Roman soldier used a belt. Um, he, would, he would be wearing a, a, a robe of some sort, um, and uh, the belt then would, uh, would, would hold his clothing so that he doesn't trip while he's running, so he doesn't stumble while he's running, uh, while he's fighting. And uh, the belt would also be where he keeps his sword. The sword here, the word is not uh, the nice long swords that a, that a, a general or officer would use, but it's, a, it's, a sh it's the short um, sword that, that uh, each man, each soldier would have there in his belt. And Paul is calling us then to think about the word of God is the thing that keeps us from stumbling and that equips us to resist the devil's attack. The... Um, if you remember, boys and girls, when Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and the devil was tempting him, how did the devil resist the devil's attacks? How did he resist the temptations? Well, remember, he, he, he just used the Bible. He used, he used the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Every word Jesus had to say to the devil was, began with, it is written, and he quoted Scripture. Well, there is a unique and unparalleled power in the Word of God. Uh, we're told in Scripture that the Bible is able to make us wise unto salvation, 2 Timothy 3.15. Uh, we're told, Peter says, that uh, if you're a Christian, uh, you are a Christian by virtue of the power of the Word of God. Peter writes uh, that we have been born again by the living and abiding Word of God. The, um, think about what you would not know if you did not have a Bible. Where would you ever learn about the reality of God? That he made heaven and earth and everything that is in them. Uh, where would you learn the character of God, his holiness, his majesty, his glory, his power, his faithfulness and goodness and love? Where would you learn of those things if you didn't have a Bible? You could look at creation and see that he's mighty. But you wouldn't know what he was like. 
Where would you learn the reality of your sin, that your sin is not just a matter of you doing some things that you shouldn't do, but that your sin is actually because you have a bent and twisted heart, and that it's a rebellion against the God who created you in His image, and that there's a penalty to be paid? Where would you know that? I remember listening to the testimony of a, of a, a woman named Deborah, and she was just reading a Bible for the very first time, and she said, I, I realized I, I was in a, in a heap of trouble. Because everything the Bible says don't do, I was doing. And as you know, the Bible says the soul that sins shall surely die. Where would we know that if it wasn't for the Word of God? And where would we ever find out about the gospel? No person could ever make up a story like the gospel. It would never have dawned on us that there could be a God so full of love that he would give his only son to die for us. It never would have dawned on us. That Jesus, the Son of God, would be willing to come and take on our humanity. And that he would be willing to bear our sin. Willing to suffer the wrath that we deserve. So that we, without ever asking, right, could be saved. That while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Where would we ever, ever come across an idea like that? We never would without Scripture. This is where we learn who we are and who God is and what it means uh, to be found in Jesus Christ. This is where we learn how to uh, unmask the lies of the devil. We live in a, in a world where the devil is lying all the time. And you see the lies in the newspapers and the television shows and movies that you watch and music that you listen to, maybe conversations that you have. Just lies, lies, lies about the li- lies about sexuality, lies about um, human identity, Lies about money, lies about where to find happiness, lies about what life is for, what happens after you die. It just, it's just a panoply of lies. We're saturated by lies. And without the Word of God, you don't have, you don't have any answers. You might have your opinions. You think this, you think that, but, but you don't have anything authoritative to stand upon unless God himself has spoken in his word. And God says, this is the truth about who you are. This is the truth about what it means to be a sexual person. This is the truth about um, what money is for and what you are for, what life is for. This is the sword of the Spirit. Where we, where we are able to, to open our Bible. And so what has God said about these things? And we're able to unmask the lies of the devil. This is where we find um, words to rebuke our own sinful hearts. This is where we find comfort when we're grieving. This is where we find strength when we're weak. It's all in the Word of God. I was uh, listening to a, a testimony this past week on um, the website, uh, I Am Second. And this couple um, had lost their youngest son to a tragic drowning. And uh, the man said he began voraciously reading uh, spiritual books, devotionals particularly, just couldn't, just kept reading devotionals. But though, the vo- though those uh, devotionals were, were true, he said, it just wasn't meeting the depth of my hunger and my pain. And so he's, he decided to put the devotionals aside and just read the Bible. And he said there he found what his, what his heart so desperately needed. You see, as he was pulled out of his story, out of his circumstance and his grief, and, and drawn out into the great drama of God's story, that's what the Bible does. 
We, we, get, we get stuck in our circumstances and in, in our fears and our, in our hurts. And what God does in the Word of God, He draws us uh, out of our story, in a sense, and, and places all those things in the context of His story, of who He is and, and what He's about and what He promises and what He's like. We, we find ourselves taken out of the story of our weakness and our failures and placed into the great grand story of God's sovereign power and God's infinite faithfulness and steadfast love. And suddenly the realities of our life look different and feel different because we, we realize this isn't the whole of the story. It's one little piece and my story only makes sense in the context of this. Who God is and what God has said and what God is doing. And we find comfort and strength. And so the, the first thing that Paul wants to press home is just the critical importance of the Word of God. And I just ask you, Christian, what's your relationship with the Word of God? Is it, a, is it an actual functioning relationship where you're opening your Bible and, and just listening to what God has to say and in, instructing yourself on, on who He is, and what He's done, what He's promised? The critical importance of the Word of God. Secondly, the importance of a gospel-informed heart and mind. So Paul talks about the shield, the breastplate of righteousness, and the helmet of salvation. The breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. Both those uh, items, of course, are meant to protect vital organs so that the soldier can be effective in the battle, that he's not struck down. Well, what are these things? Well, the breastplate of righteousness, I'll first just give the definition and then unpack it. The breastplate of righteousness is the wonderful free gift we receive in Jesus of imputed righteousness when we come to him in faith. Let me unpack that. The natural native condition of every person is unrighteousness. The Bible says there's no one who is good, no, not one. Every person is stained with sin, bent uh, by sin. And as, as I said, the Bible says that the soul that sins shall die. And, and we have this sense, right? The, we have a conscience. Every one of us does. A conscience that, that speaks to us about the reality of, 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 of a God and the reality of our guilt. And you can sear your conscience. Many people do. And so they no longer feel the guilt, but, but, but that knowledge shows up in other ways. It shows up in fear. It shows up in anxiety. Particularly fear of death. Many, that's, why, that's why universally people are afraid to die. It's, because they're, they're afraid of facing the judgment day. And again, there are some who have convinced themselves there will be no judgment day, but the Bible tells us on the day of resurrection, they will realize that they were desperately wrong and fear will, will be overwhelming them. Why are we so afraid? Well, we're, we're afraid because we know there's a God and we know that we've sinned. And so what do we do? Well, many people just try to be good enough. Someone said to me recently that um, a loved one was dying and, and said, I, I hope I've been good enough, that my good outweighs the bad. Lots of people are hoping that. It's, it's a fruitless hope because you see, it, it doesn't work like this. Um, if, if, you commit a, if, you, if you murder someone, uh, you, you can't give enough money to Salvation Army to make up for it. The murder stands. Uh, how, how do you atone for that? There's nothing that we can do that's able to atone for the crimes that we've committed. And so many people turn to religion, hoping that, that by praying or, or believing things and doing religious acts, 
Uh, they, they, they can atone for their sin. Uh, I, I just remember reading of a, of, of a lady, a poor woman, Indian woman, sacrificing her firstborn son in the river Ganges, hoping to atone for her sin, hoping that by putting her son in the water and, and seeing him swept away to his death, hoping that that would, would give her standing with God. Oh, it's, it's, so, it's so desperately tragic because, of course, it can't. It can't. No amount of our efforts or our actions are able to atone for our sin. And so the great question of the human race is, well, what can do that? What can wash away my sin? What can make me right with God? What can, uh, what can free me from condemnation and bring me into the blessing of God's favor and love forever? And that's, you see, the crisis of humanity is answered by the glory of the gospel. Because this is exactly what the gospel answers. That Jesus Christ died bearing the guilt of my sin and your sin. Paid the penalty for our sin. Washed away the stain of our sin. Freed us from the power of our sin. Robed us in His righteousness. That's the breastplate of righteousness. So that uh, the, the wonder of being a Christian is not just that God has forgiven you of your sin in Jesus, but that God has has robed you in the righteousness of Christ. I've heard it explained if you had two books here, um, and, and one was the, a book, and, uh, and all of your sins were recorded in the book, which the Bible says they are, and another book is the book, and all the righteous acts of Christ are, are, are listed here, and, uh, and God exchanges books with you. And so your, your sin is placed on Jesus, and Jesus' obedience and righteousness is given to you. That's the great exchange of the gospel. And that's the breastplate of righteousness. You see, all the obedience of Jesus Christ imputed to your account, and on that basis, God says innocent. God says righteous. God says welcome into your eternal, into your eternal rest. Amen. On that basis, and on that basis alone, that's the breastplate of righteousness, where Jesus' obedience is credited to us. And that righteousness, of course, we gain by faith. It's a gift God gives to you. Not something that we earn. And, uh, and the helmet of salvation is very closely related. Where Paul wants us to get our heads straight with gospel truth. Be, in, be informed and be renewing your mind with gospel truth. Protect your mind with gospel truth. All that God has done for you in Jesus Christ. All that God has promised you in Jesus Christ. All that God says uh, who you are, uh, your identity, your destiny because of Jesus Christ. These are truths, you see, that equip us to stand. These are truths that enable us to, um, well, to, to live in joy and peace as we believe. They protect us from the devil's assaults. You see, one of, the, one of the devil's most common tricks is to confuse God's people and to continue to throw us back to our own righteousness. So the devil will accuse you. He'll remind you of your sin. He'll point out your hypocrisy. He'll point out uh, your duplicity. And, and he'll tell you, you better get to work. You better clean it up. You better make it right. And, and, and if, if he had his way, you would spend your life as a defeated, despairing Christian, trying hard and always knowing it was never enough. And churches are full of such Christians. John MacArthur says, Satan's most disturbing attack against believers is tempting them to believe that they are lost or are losing their salvation. Few things are more paralyzing, unproductive, and miserable than insecurity. 
<clears throat> How many Christians today don't muddle through the Christian life in bondage to fear and shame and guilt because we haven't put on the breastplate of righteousness? And I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. That I need to be reminded over and over and over again that nothing in my hands I bring. There's nothing I can do, nothing uh, that could possibly work to atone for my sin, but I have a breastplate of righteousness given to me as a free gift in Jesus Christ, and in that breastplate, every aspect of my sin has been resolved. The penalty is paid, the pollution is washed away, the power of sin is broken, and the presence of sin will one day be utterly removed from our life. That's the breastplate of righteousness. And the Bible tells us that, that the God who gave us this gift, the God who began this good work, will bring it on to completion. We need to arm ourselves with that so we can stand against the devil's lies, so we can remind him of what's true. Third, the importance of a spirit of readiness. I get this from the shoes of, of gospel readiness. Uh, commentators wrestle with this a little bit, but I think the best way to understand it is just to look at what Paul says in Titus 3.1, where he says, be ready for every good work. Same word, be ready for every good work. And what Paul means there is that we're to be, have a disposition that's leaning into blessing people. Uh, so that when the opportunity comes, you're not caught off guard. Have you ever had the experience of um, you see a person in need, uh, maybe at the store or along the, along the road, you just, someone's in need, and you just keep moving because you're on a schedule. You've got things to get done. And later you look back and think, why didn't I stop? Uh, maybe you're, um, you, you think of a, uh, you think back over the, the day, and you realize there was a prime opportunity to, to share the gospel with someone. And, and, you, and you wonder, why didn't, I, why didn't I take that opportunity? Or you were involved in a gossip session, and, and, and you didn't put an end to it. And you think, why, why didn't I speak up? And, and the answer is, we, we weren't primed. We weren't ready to speak up. Uh, and, and so the opportunity just slips on past. Paul wants us to have a readiness for good work and a readiness to take a stand against the devil's schemes so that when the temptation comes, we're not caught off guard. When the, uh, when the devil comes and, and, and tries to trip us up, well, we're ready. We know this is going to happen. We've made our hearts ready. How? Through the gospel of peace. Because you see, the, the gospel of peace is, is uh, able to make us eager to do good and, and able to stand against uh, the devil, as we live in this, this conviction, we are loved by God the Father in Jesus Christ every single day. And that love doesn't waver. It doesn't go up or down depending on how you're doing. Uh, that love is, is rooted in, the, in the, uh, the reality of Jesus Christ and his righteousness and the fact that you have been united to Jesus Christ by faith. And all the love of God the Father is for you. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed your sins from you. Every day that's true. And when we, when we take that to ourselves, you see, there is power in that truth to stand against the devil's lies, to stand in a time of trial. I just read just um, this morning, I just read this wonderful little line that I, I'm going to try to remember this. In times of trial, we start doubting. Does God love me? Is God punishing me? Is God abandoning me? Why is this happening? How does this make sense? 
What if I've just been kidding myself? What if I'm not a Christian at all? What if the Bible's not even true? What if I just believe it because my parents told me it was true? What if God isn't actually sovereign? All these questions, the devil's just throwing at you right in time of trial. And the line is this, never doubt in a time of darkness what you knew to be true in the light. Never doubt in the darkness what you knew to be true in the light. In the light is where we see things clearly. In the dark, our minds can get filled with all sorts of, um, of, of, of wrong ideas and, and sinful ideas and as, we, as we doubt the goodness of God. Never doubt in the dark what you knew to be true in the light. You see, what we, what we grasp in the light is able to equip us to stand in the dark. Finally, the importance of an act of faith. Paul says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, with, with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The shield of faith is it's just the simple act of faith. It's taking everything that you know, all that God has said in his word, all that he's done for us in Christ, all that he's promised to us in Christ, and taking that and saying, I believe it. I believe it's true. I'm convinced it's true. I believe it's for me. Not just true in general, but that Jesus died for my sin. That Jesus was raised to life for my justification. That I have been robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That I am an heir with Christ of eternal heaven. And you see, we, we, we take that to ourselves, and that is the shield that protects us against all the accusations and the charges and the questions that the devil might raise. So you take in the shield of faith, you take that shield, you take the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you see, to answer the devil's accusations. You take the gospel of peace to answer the condemnation of your own conscience. Uh, you, you take Jesus offered in this book to be your savior and your friend. You take the Holy Spirit who inspired this book to be your counselor and your guide. You take this to yourself. And so when the questions come, how do you know you're a Christian? What makes you think that God would, would still forgive you? I know I'm a Christian because the Bible says that if I believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I shall be saved. And I believe. Amen. And it says it right here. And I, I, I'm convinced that God will forgive me because the, my Bible says that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And there's no limit to it. There's no expiration date to it. You see, that's how we resist the devil. That's how we live in faith. We take hold of it. We apply it. We, we, we believe it. And the wonder you see of the gospel is that, is that by that faith we are saved and by that faith we stand. By faith, by believing. All that God has said and, and all that Christ has accomplished for us, we, 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 we are saved and we stand. And so that's what, means, what Paul means when he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You stand by faith, by actually believing what God has said. Oh, I just need to hear this to my, from my own heart. I'm good at worrying, and it's wrong. We need to apply this. Where do you struggle? Where is your weakness? What has God said specifically for you? 
that you can take to your heart, that you can arm yourself with. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. That's what the Bible says. Read Hebrews chapter 11 again. And all those heroes of faith who by faith, not by their strength, not by their abilities, not by their willpower, but by faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. How? By faith. By faith. God can do great things through weak people like us if we will take hold of the shield of faith. If we just take these things to ourselves and say, I believe it. You see, the armor is all freely given. But we have to put it on. You've got to fasten on the belt of truth. You've got to know your Bible. If you, don't, if you don't have a relationship with your Bible, I plead with you to start. Find someone who can help you. Find a reading program, whatever it's going to be. Just open it up. Begin, begin to read. You've got you to fasten on the belt of truth. And we, and, and we have to take that breastplate of righteousness that's freely given to us and believe it, that I'm righteous in God's sight. We need, to, we need to take on that helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith. It's all freely given. We just need to put it on. Friends, um, Paul says this will equip us for the day of evil. The day of evil might be that day when a loved one dies unexpectedly and far too soon. The day of evil might be a diagnosis of cancer or some other terminal or debilitating illness. It might be a time of personal failure. It might be a time of genuine persecution. It might be a time of betrayal. Whatever the evil day will be, we're all going to face them, every single one of us. We're going to face the time of darkness. And Paul just calls us, whatever that evil day will be, to stand equipped. As we're equipped, we'll be able to stand. God will keep us standing as we robe ourselves in the precious gospel armor. May God grant it for the glory of his name. Amen. Amen. Oh God, our Father in heaven, I thank you for gospel armor. I thank you for your word of truth. And I thank you, Lord, for a gospel of peace that promises that we are reconciled to God, not because of anything in us, not because of anything we've promised, anything we've done, anything we intend, but because the Son of God, Jesus Christ, bore our sin in his body on the tree and gave to us as a gift his perfect obedience and righteousness. Oh, Father, I pray that, that the truth of your sovereignty and your, your goodness, your grace, your faithfulness, your mercy and compassion. Lord, I pray that those truths would, would gird us up and strengthen us, uh, that those truths would give us the power to stand as we know who we are as children of God, as we know where we're, our, where we're going, a new heaven and a new earth. And Lord, I pray for any this morning who don't know these things to be true. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, give them the grace to believe, to know these things and and to believe them and to be saved by, by this loving Savior. And Father, we thank you that uh, the one who called us is faithful and he will do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's uh, stand and respond with a hymn, O Church Arise.
Put your armor on. Until then, the Lord promises you all of his grace and peace, and so receive now from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.